Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that's fully on board with Lionel Messi coming to the Premier League and playing in front of no crowds whatsoever, because this is 2020 and little makes sense anymore. In fact, at this point, we can't rule out Maradona coming out of retirement to play for Brighton and Hove Albion, or Alfredo De Stefano being exhumed and leading Crystal Palace to a Champions League spot. All better off and crazy is the new norm. We're going to be discussing the prospect of Messi joining City a little later, but today's main topics are Chelsea's transfer window thus far, and this Saturday's Community Shield between Liverpool and Arsenal. To do this, I'm delighted to be joined by a debutant, an award-winning podcaster no less, and a soon-to-be author, Mr Chris Etchingham. Hiya mate, welcome to 9320. Thank you ever so much, thank you for having me. I, and just for the listeners' uh, benefit, I got your name wrong in the original intro. <laughs> you did. I'm very disappointingly professional of you to go back and re the whole thing. <laughs> yes, and you had a great comeback as well. I apologise for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we head to Stamford Bridge, this week's big news was the unveiling of Gareth Southgate's England squad for the upcoming Nations League commitments. Um, it's his first squad unveiling since last November, and some notable picks include Phil Foden and Calvin Phillips of Leeds, along with a surprise recall of Eric Dyer. The big shock, however, was the inclusion of Harry Maguire, or should that be the original inclusion of Harry Maguire, um, which was subsequently kind of, um, he was subsequently omitted following a guilty version for repeated bodily harm and attempting to bribe a police officer. Chris, what did you make of that? Was, was Southgate wrong to include him in the first place? Uh, I would say he's probably naive rather than wrong. Um, mm. He must have had a conversation with Harry Maguire. Harry, did you do it? No, I didn't. Okay, you're in the squad. Um, <laughs> and within hours, wasn't it? It wasn't even a few days later. It was literally a matter of a couple of hours he'd been found guilty. Um, I think Harry Maguire needs to have a long, hard look at himself, not only for that, but for or for, for the sort of conviction he's had, but mm. also for the way he may have led on uh, Gareth Southgate as well. Well, yeah, I mean, talk about leading on. There's been a lot of it about, I mean... I don't want to put all the uh, blame at a certain Mr. Ashton's kind of um, door, but the former Sun journalist who is now head of United PR, I think he's had a very good week because the coverage uh, following the incident was pretty much, you know, model professional Harry Maguire acts, you know, very uncharacteristically. And then subsequent to that, it was always defending his sister. There's Albanian gangsters. There's all these different kind of stories. Um, yeah, would would you say that other footballers wouldn't have got this kind of positive press? Uh, do you know what? I was looking at Media Watch I've made, on Football 365 this mm. week. I paid particular attention to it because I knew it would be interesting and I knew it was coming on here. Um, I've seen him described as a have-to-go hero. Uh, Media Watch pulled up Henry Winter's comments on him this week. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This sort of... Um, ready in the honour of England and all this sort of stuff uh, and standing up for himself and the pride of his family and the honour of his family. And all the while I'm reading this thinking Raheem Sterling. Yeah, yeah. Because if that had been him out there, um, there is no way in the world that he would have got the exact same coverage. In fact, I think I've seen this on Media Watch as well this week, so I've not actually read the article, but um, the press he's had about attending... uh, Usain Bolt's birthday party and Usain Bolt testing positive for coronavirus afterwards. Um, right. And it was sort of made out about the fact that uh, Raheem Sterling had to be tested just to make sure that he was COVID free. Well, you know, 
the article didn't mention that the rest of the England team have also been <laughs> um, tested mm. as well. So, um, yeah, I think that Harry Maguire uh, has got off scot-free a little bit with the press, I think, this week. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of John Terry. Um, I know we are, you know, very different people. And I know, you know, from things I, I hear, Harry Maguire is a decent guy, you know, and, and um, he's got a lot of good things about him. Um, whereas perhaps John Terry, um, John Terry, that's a lesser case. But even so, the kind of, I don't know, warrior at the back, you know, standing for all that was good for St. George, damn it. They always yeah. seem to be able to do what the hell they like, don't they? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, if you think back to that um, that case with John Terry, it was probably Ashley Cole that came out of it, was yeah. because of yeah. the um, uh, Rio's Chalk Ice mm. um, reply to, to the guy's tweet. Um, yeah, I think, I'm trying to think the words that Henry Winter used. He used, if, I think he said something along the lines of, if Harry Maguire is guilty of anything, it's folly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know? You can't imagine that sort of language being used about Raheem Sterling uh, or, you know, a myriad of other players. I'm going to yeah. keep saying Raheem Sterling because... Well, know, the thing is, when I think of examples, this is a worrying thing for me, Chris. I mean, OK, I said John Terry, but when I think of other examples who wouldn't have got anything like this press, a lot of them tend to be black. You know, like Paul Pogba springs to mind yeah. as well. Imagine if this was Paul Pogba and the coverage he'd be getting round, round about now. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, you know, it, it was um, when he was arrested, there was plenty of memes of uh, Graham Sooners going around on Twitter with some comments <laughs> underneath. Harry Maguire's been arrested, but what I'm, you know, what I'm asking, what do Paul Pogba do to stop him getting arrested <laughs> yes. and all this sort of thing? And it's only half a joke because yeah. um, you can imagine that if it was a player of colour that this had happened to, then the knives would most certainly be out. You know, if Jordan Henderson had been arrested for the same thing over there, he would have been getting very similar press to Harry Maguire, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of reading off the names kind of um, in, in the current squad. Eric Dyer is another. I can imagine very much a press kind of jump into his defence, as they did well, when he kind of led yeah. into the stands. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of with him on that respect, you know, going yeah. to the, you, you can't do that, but you can understand why he did it. But, you know, if that had been another player, then, you know, you can... You can imagine the press. But yeah, sorry, no, you were saying. Uh, well, no, I, I just want to kind of, because um, obviously Maguire's out now, he won't take part in, in the forthcoming games. Um, but looking at the squad, um, the midfield intrigues me because individually I rate several of the names I'm about to reel off now. But together, oh boy, is this an uninspiring midfield. James Ward-Prowse, Phillips, Rice, Dyer, Winks, so my question to you, Chris, is has England ever had a more uninspiring midfield? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Carlton Palmer. <laughs> yes, yeah. Palmer, any, Batty. Any, <laughs> yeah. any England squad under Graham Taylor, I think it was, if you remember those glory yeah. days, uh, they probably have. Um, to the two things I took from this England squad, you're talking about in the midfield, where is Jack Grealish? I'd have him ahead of... Um, I'd have had him ahead of Mason Mount. I'd have had him ahead of... I think all the midfielders, maybe apart from uh, Phil Foden, and that's not me playing to the audience. That's me. Sort of, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's me. Too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's me knowing that um, he, Phil Foden is a very exciting player, World Cup winner, of course. Um, I can't remember if Mason Mount is or not, but I think uh, Jack Grealish, for how he has um, played for Villa this year, uh, the reason they pretty much stayed up is because of him, and for him not even to be in the squad, I think is just yeah. an abomination and. I can't figure out where the left-backs are. Well, that's a very 
Good point. Yeah, either can I. It's um, <laughs> even people who can fill in in that role. There's, there's no one who really comes to mind there. Jerry um, Gomez maybe, but that's probably from Football Manager where he can play all across the back four rather than actually yeah. doing it for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to play Alexander Arnold there, although he could, but you're not going to. And I think yeah. Phil Foden is big plus. Um, is the fact that since lockdown he's been playing as part of the front three, um, so he has got that versatility as well. Um, so that is big plus. I mean, yeah, you're looking at the others. What strikes me about Grealish is I've read several reports this week saying his style of play, the, the kind of um, player he is at Villa, it doesn't fit in with Gareth Southgate's remit. Now that's fine, got no problem with that. But give him a chance, let him, you know, because players are versatile; they can play yeah. different roles. For, for a club and for, for country. So it's strange that he's not been given a chance to, to prove that. And I think someone as good as Grealish has obviously got a very sort of clever football brain. Yes, uh, yeah. And he would be able to adapt. I'm sure he would be able to. Um, so these are coming up and I'm sure there'll be a, a pod next week on the Nations League and possibly just a pod trying to explain and understand what the hell the Nations League is and what, what function. I haven't is. watched it because I, I just I just find it a bizarre... Not, I'm not against it, per se. I'm, I just can't get to grips with the rules. No. Can I ask you what you make of Kai Walker? Because he's back after about a year or so, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's purely down to form. He has been, well, one of our top three players since lockdown easily. Um, he, he's, he's put in consummate performances week in, week out. Um, nine out of ten every week. Um so I think it's down to that. It really looked like that his days were numbered, uh, particularly with the amount of really good right backs coming through. You know, Reese James, obviously uh, Alexander Arnold, uh, Wan Bissaka. You think, okay, well, you know, Kyle's days are numbered internationally, uh, and also Southgate, you know, has shown in the past that he has got a certain fondness for Kieran Trippier, who's a very good player too. Um, but no, he's been brilliant, honestly, Chris. He's been um, his attitude since coming back. It's commendable, I think, because he got a lot of stick, and rightly so, during lockdown. Um, you know, he, he kind of had that party where he had kind of, you know, women around to his house. He went to see his family, breaking the kind of rules. Um, he got a lot of flack. Um, and so for him to basically just knuckle down and really put in the performances is to his credit, I think. So I was, I was surprised when he was uh, included, but also delighted as well. Yeah. Do you reckon he'll start ahead of... I mean, he would, I suppose Alexander-Arnold would be first choice, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would be for me too. I'm, I'm a City fan, I love Kyle Walker, but Alexander-Arnold, his stats... Was it second most assists or something last season? And, and yeah. that's from a right-back. Um, so, yeah, with the modern game and with the full-backs as they are these days, um, just by virtue of his free kicks and his assists and his contributions in an attacking position, um, Alexander-Arnold has got to be a start for England. I mean, you know what? You have absolutely thrown me a curveball here, mate. I can't find any left backs in this squad. <laughs> it is really strange because I was looking. Someone mentioned it in um, uh, in a WhatsApp group that I'm on, and I started looking at the squad and I think, well, there aren't any there. <laughs> it's like, well, what's happened to our do, left backs? Do you think he's benching? overlooked it? <laughs> is that possible? I mean, Stuart Pearce once in his first yes. managerial role, he picked twelve players, didn't he? And uh, he needed his wife to point out to him that it was twelve players he'd written down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure whether Ben Chilwell is unfit um, or mm. or what, but um, surely we've got one, two English left back. <laughs> uh, right, well, let's move on. For actually, talk about Chilwell. It's a nice neat link there because um, yeah. let's move on to Chelsea's transfer window now. And all the reports are that Ben Chilwell will be moving very immediately. Has, uh, has it been confirmed? Yeah, Chelsea have announced it. 
Right. Well, yeah, I've, we've, I've just had a Modern Family marathon and watched about 10 episodes in a row, <laughs> so I've missed that. Um, so 50 million, is it? I, I don't remember the price. I've just seen a photo of uh, on Chelsea's Twitter feed of uh, him holding a shirt. Right. Well, yeah, it was due to happen and it was going to be 50 million. I, I had no idea it was going to be today. So so that really even adds more to the argument that Chelsea have, have had a really good transfer window and are continuing to do so. Uh, Zayac, Werner, uh, Havertz looks nailed on. Thiago Silva looks nailed on. Chilwell's now joined. There's a possibility of Malang Sar, although he'll probably go out uh, and be loaned out for a season. Uh, and a keeper too could well be on the way. Um, are they title challenges next year? Uh, I'm not so sure about this, Chelsea, having a, a good um, transfer window um, narrative. And They've bought some excellent players, that, mm. but, I mean, obviously they bought Werner, they bought Zayek, they're about to get Kai Havertz, and that's brilliant. Um, I don't think they've addressed their defensive issues entirely. I wrote this down before Ben Chilwell had signed, though, to be fair. So, <laughs> um, they might, but, um, I saw a tweet. He gave the ball away on an average uh, 1.9 times per game in the Premier League. That's more than any other left-back. Um, they bought Saar, who you say might go on loan. Thiago Silva's hardly a long-term option. The, all the talk last year was of um, Chelsea have to strengthen their defence. Um, I don't think they've done that. Um, and they've got a £70 million goalkeeper on huge amounts of wages who is likely not to want to play second fiddle sat on the bench. So it's going to be hard moving him. Um, so I'm not entirely sure that they've solved their uh, pressing issues. I don't think they're going to be title challengers because that's like 33, 34 points they've got to make up to Liverpool as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I took away from this is their sort of Chelsea being the little team made good project they had with their transfer ban. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all these little plucky yeah. little youngsters Frank's brought in the team. He's um, <laughs> been in them off as soon as he can to bring in Kai Havertz, isn't he? That was such an annoying narrative. I mean, I found myself enjoying watching Chelsea for the first time in a long time. Um, and then it just began, didn't it? This kind of mm. underdog kind of narrative, which was so false. I mean, was it only it was two transfer windows that they couldn't participate in? They had these amazing youngsters coming through anyway. Even without, take those youngsters aside, they had a brilliant squad. I mean, Lampard inherited a really, really good squad of players there um, who could easily get, you know, a top four, top three kind of season out of. So I just never got that. I mean, that actually brings me on to my next question, which is the differing kind of portrayals of clubs in the media Um And it's really becoming noticeable right now because everyone's saying that Chelsea... Well, firstly, as you say, everyone said last season that that plucky Chelsea overcome the odds to kind of make top four. And now they've nailed a transfer window. Well done, Chelsea. That seems to be what the media are saying. Conversely, they're also kind of saying, you know, United, what about them? Why aren't they spending? They need to copy Chelsea. They need to spend big because look at this, look at the bench that they've got. They need to improve upon that. Come on, Solskjaer, get your finger out, start spending the money. Come on, Woodward. Whereas if Manchester City spend money, it's, it's the omen for, for the apocalypse. It's kind of like we're ruining football. Um, do you notice that not being a fan of any of those three clubs? Do do you see a difference in how kind of certain clubs are portrayed as regards to transfers? Um, this is where I might make myself a little bit unpopular. Yeah, <laughs> uh, quite possibly. I just want to say one thing about Lampard. It's um, this is a huge season for him. So he had his first plucky season at Derby, and he's had a little, little plucky season at. <laughs> 
Chelsea, and now he's been given the tools to work with. This is yes. this is where we see if he's a good Absolutely. manager or not. Yeah, and it sort of goes back into your question a little bit. Come October or November, if he's not doing so great with Chelsea, or you know, not as good as people expect, then what's the media reaction going to be like? Well, for that's him? a fair point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've bought Ferran Torres for about twenty-four million pounds, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And Nathan Ake about forty million pounds, which in itself isn't particularly expensive for a defender. I don't think. I don't think you faced those accusations so far this summer. Um, previous summers, I know you have. And I think part of that is, of course, where does the money come from for Manchester City, which you know I'm sure you've had on this debate on this, you've had yeah. this podcast for you know a few times in the past. So Manchester United aren't immune to that. You know, the Glazers are big Trump supporters and big Trump donors. Um, Roman Abramovich, you know, no one's quite entirely sure where he got his money from. But, you know, um, uh, we can sort of hazard a little guess, but... Everyone knows where Manchester City get their money from. So the fact they can spend the money, um, I think it upsets some people. I mean, personally, if uh, I'm sure if not, you know, we only have to see the reaction of the Newcastle fans to the news that Saudi Arabia might be buying yeah. their club that, you know, that I think fans in most clubs will be quite happy if a Middle Eastern Sheikh turned up and decided to buy their football club and, start splurging some money. So, you know, there's a huge amount of hypocrisy from fans towards Manchester City um, when they sort of talk about Manchester City splurging the money. I don't think they do, you know. I think, what's your highest transfer fee? Um, 64 million, I think, for Rodri. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that is you sort of splurging the money. You know, it's not like 100 million for Felipe Coutinho and, you know, he'll go on loan the following season and head up a Champions League winner. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's not that and it's not Neymar money you guys are spending despite all the predictions that you would. I mean, you've been outspent by United in the transfer window. Absolutely. So I don't think it's City splashing the money. I think what people have an issue with is is where City's money's where's where does City's money come from? Well, I think I mean, sometimes just to interject, Chris. I mean, yeah. when, when you say that, when a fan says that, I've never got any problem with it. My problem is yeah. when the media says it because it seems to be right across the board now. And where has that come from? Because we've now had our owners for you know since two thousand and eight, so you know twelve years now. The first ten years, no one mentioned it. I mean, okay, it was kind of you know, sometimes racially and sometimes kind of just belittlingly called, you know, Arab money or kind of oil money. But yeah. no one had any kind of moral objections to, to that. It was more morally, uh, people had a problem with us just spending so much money. Um, and then about two years ago, it became this big talking point that kind of, you know, there was our owners and, and kind of, you know, where they're from and kind of how things are out there and the human rights record, etc. cetera, um, which are legitimate you know, conversations to have. Um, but I'm just very suspicious of how the media have just started to do that when they've always known, you know, nothing's suddenly changed in the last two years. It's, this has been like this for 12 years. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm always dubious about that because that does filter down the media kind of lambacity for spending money and, and that filters down to, to fans from who watch the programs and read the papers, etc. Um, and then we just get it from all kind of sides. I mean, I, I know my other kind of argument, the other kind of counter to that, um, and I'm not saying you're wrong in any way, by the way, it's, I, I, when people say about the kind of, any concerns they have about City and their ownership, it's a valid point. It's absolutely, I, I have that myself as, as a blue. Um, but the other thing I would counter with is when it comes to United in particular, 
they are racked in debt. I mean, they are absolutely up to their eyeballs in debt. Mm. And yet they go out and, you know, we're talking about Jaden Sancho. I know it's not going to go ahead anymore, but, you know, the figure being bandied around 120 million. And if they had bought that player for 120 million, it would have been portrayed in a very celebratory way on the back pages. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think there's a big difference between the TV media and the print media. You, I, um, mm. I don't think you will get uh, Roy Keane or Michael Richards on Sky Sports on a Saturday or sort of Sunday evening talking about um, sovereign wealth funds and yeah. washing and things like that. You're not going to get that. Um, and in fact, I've heard someone mention it on 606 and was pretty quickly cut off by um, whoever the sort of presenter was. So, but I think where you do get that, you do get that on your print medias. And, you know, I think I'm sure you know the sort of usual people that do it. We know. <laughs> <laughs> you should invite them on. Um, well, again, yeah. <laughs> you do get the, yeah, you've got your, your usual names that I'm sure sort of City fans don't need. Um, and it's it's a huge quandary for you guys. It really is. If, uh, if the same people, you know, if Saudi Arabia rocked up at Liverpool, bought Liverpool, I would have to sort of ask myself serious questions as to whether I could carry on supporting them. And mm. I don't I don't begrudge you guys for carrying on doing it. Um, and Tim Vickery on the World Football Phoning was speaking recently about um, the Brazil team. I think it was 1970 or 1982 he was talking about. And he was talking to a couple of Portuguese Brazilian friends. Um, and they were talking about the junta, trying to sort of yeah. shimmy on the coattails of these sort of teams. And it made them support the teams even more because they said, you know, they will not take this away from me. This national team is my life and it's my blood. And, you know, these people won't take it away from me. And I can understand why you guys double down and support City even more mm. um, based on that. But I think my question is for City isn't how much you spend, but where the money comes from, which is, I think, something you guys have to accept is a legitimate question. Yeah, and I think absolutely. when. when yeah, and I, I I see I saw it a little, especially this season with um, the Saudi Arabia takeover, and I've seen it a little bit with City fans. They do come across at times some of them as fingers in their ears, trying not to listen to where it comes from, and I, and I don't blame them for that because it's your club that you love, and you don't want bad things to be associated with your club. But I think they do do that, but it's for where the money comes from rather than how much money you're actually spending. I think that's certainly the case when it comes to. You know the broadsheets, um, and you're right in, in differentiating between the kind of print media and, and television. Um, but there's also like the tabloids is a different kettle of fish for me. Um, I, I think traditionally the, the Daily Mirror is very pro Liverpool, and the Sun is very pro Manchester United. And so when these big clubs make signings. They're splashed on the back page. You open it up and there's two pages. You know, you'll have a former player saying how they're going to change their fortunes of this club and it's a great signing. We've never seen that with City. And I don't believe when it comes to the tabloids that, that it's coming from the angle that you're talking about. Um, you know, I can't prove it, but that's just my interpretation. I think it they're just basically playing to a larger audience. Um, and it's good business sense, maybe. Um, I don't, yeah, I think a lot of it is clickbait so um yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if because social media was in its infancy when Thaxon Sinuatra took over you guys <laughs> what would the social you know if social media was a bit more established would you have the similar headlines as yours as you're getting now about your current owners I'm, mm. I, I don't know maybe you would maybe you wouldn't but I've heard some people talk about the fact that there are lots of Liverpool and Manchester United pundits in sort of print media and in 
um, uh, and on TV media as well. And you guys don't have that yet. You you don't have your Graham Sooners cheerleaders or yeah, your Roy yeah. Keane cheerleaders. You, you know, Michael Richards is there, um, but you haven't got something like that. And I think if you look at someone like Neil Custis of the Sun, he's been embedded with United for an awful long time, hasn't mm-hmm. he? And maybe you haven't got someone like that sort of um, in the print media for Man City as yet. And it will probably change in the next sort of 10 years or so. Um, you will probably have more people like that coming through on your side. But because of how new all this is for you guys, I think maybe it's it's not happening yet, but it will do. Yeah, that's a fair point. It is. And, and, and it, I can see kind of all sides of the argument. And I, I always kind of accept if people have a problem with kind of our owners and kind of human rights record out there. Um, I would counter that, you know, and this isn't, of course, not only you, Chris, but kind of in general, there's also a lot of hypocrisy, I think, out there as well. For sure. Uh, yeah. And and so that's really what gets City fans' backs up, I think, more than most on Twitter, and um, particularly when that hypocrisy comes from those <clears throat> certain journalists you alluded to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think most people would love someone with the sort of deep pockets that own PSG or Manchester City to own their clubs. I mean, oh, I mean, absolutely, when Jack, yeah. To yeah. a smaller scale, when Jack Walker bought Blackburn. Yeah. Um, they loved it, didn't they? And yeah. there were many envious eyes cast across to Blackburn. Like, you know, um, Robert Chase, I think it was, the, the Norwich chairman, gave clubs a week to buy Chris Sutton for £5 million, and everyone sort of threw their hands in the air and said, well, we can't afford that. <laughs> and along came Jack Walker. I'll do it then. So, you know, it's it's always been there. Yeah. And just to kind of round up this kind of um, area as well, because it brings us back to what we originally were talking about, Talking about hypocrisy, um, one of these certain journalists who we've been alluding to, um, when City went to Cass, uh, he was very publicly and on Twitter saying, no, they're guilty, they're guilty. And City fans were saying, well, can we just have our appeal first? No, no, they're guilty. And of course, we were found kind of, you know, the decision was overturned with Harry Maguire this week. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Prior to uh, the conviction, um, he's innocent, he's innocent. And even when he was found guilty... Um, yeah, the same journalist was saying, "Oh no, no, we don't have, a, we can't trust these kind of foreign courts." Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, make your mind up. Anyway, let's move on to the Community Shield uh, yes. this weekend. Now, the big talking point for me with this Community Shield is the timing of it. So the, the season's pretty much just ended. You know, less than two weeks ago, we've got internationals coming up immediately after it. So, are we looking here at Jurgen Klopp and and Arteta, but particularly Klopp because you know he's got the kids at his disposal, and um, you know playing the kids. Um, if he's got any sense, he quite possibly would do, which I'm quite excited about because yeah. I think we've got quite a few coming through. Uh, so um, Nico Williams and Curtis Jones um, sort of played a few games last year, but I think also I'm quite excited about seeing some of the lone players come back. So. Uh, Grich, Brewster, um, Harry Wilson, maybe Ben Woodburn as well. I can't remember what's happening with Ben Woodburn at the moment, but mm. um, Rian Brewster, I've always been excited about. Probably the same reason you guys are about Phil Foden, you know, what's a World Cup winner and yes, yeah, young lad coming through. Uh, so, and yeah. very unfortunate with his injury, wasn't he? Because he was right yeah. in the cusp of breaking through, yes, yeah, definitely. And he had a pretty decent season at Swansea as well. Um, yeah, I think I always want to see young players do well. I get really excited about seeing young players doing really well. Um, and I've got to be honest, it doesn't really bother me what team that is, you know, whether it's Mason Greenwood or Trent Alexander-Arnold, it doesn't bother me yeah. um, what what team it is. But um, I hope he does. I hope he does because 
we've had sort of a month or so off. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, it's going to be a very long season. I think it's going to be a very long couple of years because we've got this season. We've then got the Euros. Um, Confederations Cup's got to fit in somewhere. Uh, and then we've got a season and um, a World Cup in two years' time. So I'd be quite happy if we play some kids just to sort of protect our sort of more senior players. How, how do you view the Community Shield, Chris? Is, is it a legitimate trophy for you or is it a glorified friendly? I think it's probably somewhere between the two. Um, I think I'm quite a traditionalist. My favourite weekend of the season is the FA Cup third round weekend. Yes, um, yeah. I love that. Same it's my favourite weekend. Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a fixture I look forward to, the Charity Shield. It's always nice to see. If you know What are the new kits look like? What haircuts are the new players got over the summer? All that sort of thing. It's nice to see football being played in the summer as well. Yes. Because uh, yeah. you've got sort of like six months of it being played in the dark. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's quite nice to still see on a nice big pitch. I've really enjoyed this summer football because it's great. Um, sort of seeing it played in nice weather. Um, but it's interesting to see young players coming through. I don't think it, I, I don't think it matters too much. Um, I don't think it's lays down too much of a marker. I don't, I, I can't remember. How did you guys get on the charity shield last year? Well, we beat um, Liverpool didn't we on penalties. Oh, we did. Uh, but yeah. what, what was really noticeable about that is Klopp, um, made wholesale changes throughout the second half and Guardiola made might have been four but I think it was three substitutions uh, no it's three I think um, and Liverpool made five um, and it was clear that you know I mean we we played United a few years ago and, and ironically they went on to beat us 3-2 but that day it was so obvious Ferguson just saw that as a chance to get some minutes into his players legs whereas yeah. we were sick you know because we were fresh onto the scene this was our second ever you know, visit to Wembley for for many a year. So for us, it was a big occasion. Um, and I think certain managers see it as a, just a chance to basically, you know, tune up ahead of, of, of league's uh, kickoff. Uh, whereas other managers will be seen as true. I, I certainly think that Arteta will be taking this more seriously than Klopp will this weekend. Okay, do you? Yeah, well, I think Arteta needs it. I, I think, um, you know, the FA Cup was huge for him. Also, whilst he was at City, uh, him and Guardiola both were baffled by the English kind of downplaying of the Community Shield as a title. Um, so they would say, you know, we've won four four titles last year, and you know, one of the press would say, no, actually it was three. And, and Guardiola and, and Arteta were both, you know, they were baffled by it. They were like, well, why do we even play it then if you're just going to dismiss it as soon as it's over? <laughs> um, so I think he'll take that into it as well, that he sees it as a title. Um and he needs it, you know, to, to make a mark there at Arsenal. I think things are really taken off for him there. Uh, it's, it's a really good time to get another successful day out at Wembley. Um, on that note, how, how do you view Arteta at Arsenal? Do you think it is taken off there? It's hard to say because he's not had... Um, it, it, you can't really judge someone on what's it been eight months nine. It's probably a bit longer than that, hasn't it? Uh, no, no, it's been yeah. Uh, well, obviously with uh, lockdown, yeah, but it's um, yeah, yeah, less than a year, yeah. It's been difficult to judge. I had a little look. Um, Twenty-eight matches he's managed, one point nine three points per game. So he's had good performances. So he's won the FA Cup. Um, he beat you guys in the semi-final, I think, didn't he? Um, and, and just set out the kind of game plan, you know, perfectly. So that really shows that, I mean, there's no doubt about it anyway, but it shows that he's really got the coaching acumen to be a successor, I think. Yeah, but then they also they imploded at Brighton as well in the Premier League. Mm. Um, so I think he's, there's definite promise there. And I think this win, if he did win um, the Charity Shield, I think if Jurgen Klopp loses it, it would sort of, 
shrug his shoulders and say whatever. Uh, I think if Mikel Arteta wins it, and I think it will be important for him as a young coach within the space of three months to get two yeah. trophies. Um, I think that'd be important. But did you, I mean, you guys saw him for longer than I did. What do you make of him as an assistant manager? Did you always look at him and think this guy's going places? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the trust that Pep put in him, um, there were certain games where Pep would give it all over to Arteta. You know, you basically lay out all our kind of, our strategies for, for this game. Um, you know, and things like set pieces, etc., etc. Um, he was given so much responsibility by Pep, and Pep listened to him. You know, you you saw that when they'd lean in against each other on, on you know on the bench, yeah, Guardiola was taking it in. Mm. And whereas with other assistants, he's you know he's not. <laughs> you can see he's not. Um, so you can tell he, you know Guardiola very much views him as a coach for the future. Um, and you know he, he knows a good coach when he sees one. So being one himself, um, yeah, I, really hope, I think Arsenal are lucky to have it. I think they are. Yeah, one thing I hope is their off the field issues um, don't sort of come back to haunt them. So you know they're, they're making these fifty-five redundancies because they're looking yeah. like they're going on some sort of Kia Drabchi and agent loving. And I hope that. By going down this model, uh, I, I, I say I, I hope I'm not really that bothered. I'm an Arsenal fan, but um, you know, I, I, I sort of hope for his sake that yeah. Kier Drabchin, if this is the way they're going, brings in the right players. But I've got a feeling that maybe they won't. I mean, David Luiz is a career Drabchin player, and he's just got a, a year's extension on his contract. Did he do what he needed to do last year to get a, a, a year-long extension on his contract? I'm not sure. It was a baffling decision, uh, I yeah. thought. Um, you know, people said that, well, they can't bring in anyone else. Who else is available? They can't afford to get this player or that player. So from that aspect, okay. But why keep someone who is, he's always got a rick in him, hasn't he? Always. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't, you can't put trust in him, particularly over the long term, over the course of a season. Um, so talking about kind of, you know, what Arsenal can and can't afford... Um, Liverpool actually going right back to the start with Timo Werner uh, you were in pole position at one point don't say that (laughs) (laughs) well does it concern you the lack of transfer activity so far at Anfield a little bit yeah I went through our players today so um, the uh, football writers player of the year which I'm sure you're all happy about um, (laughs) Jordan Henderson is 30, uh, James Milner's 34, who I'm sure was probably in second place. Um, Gina Whitehaven's 29, Virgil's 29, Jean Matip's 29, um, and then uh, Bobby, Marnie, and Mo Salah are all 28. That's a huge core of our team mm. that are late 20s. And I went back through the squad as well. We've got players younger than 23 that are first team regulars. We've got Joe Gomez, who's 23, and Trent Alexander, who's 21. So. Yeah, I think we need a bit of an overhaul. We didn't buy anybody last season, um, apart from the defender, the Dutch guy, I can't remember his name, Van der Hoover or something like, mm. like that, I can't remember. We got him. Um, we haven't got anybody so far. The Thiago Alcantara is looking likely, uh, which is you know fantastic. It would be brilliant, but he's in that upper age category again. Yeah. Um, having said that, if I was off with Thiago Alcantara, oh, I'd buy the okay. <laughs> Definitely. How, just um, very quickly, Simon, how do you see that working out in midfield? Do you think kind of, you know, Fabinho will start as a holding, Thiago will be pushed more advanced than he is presently at Bayern? I think, I, yeah, I get the impression that I'm, I might be wrong because I'm not 
huge on my tactics. I get the impression they're sort of two steady lines of three that we've got. Mm. Um, so you'd sort of have uh, you'd have Fabinho and then Alcantara maybe pushing up a little bit because then you'd have sort of Jordan behind him, yeah, uh, protecting with uh, with Fabinho. Um, so maybe you can have that a little bit. So essentially, um, you know, not not like for like he's not going to take his place, of course, because he's been fantastic. But um, challenging Ronaldin rather than. Fabinho, you know, so you can imagine kind of when Alden looking over his shoulder at this and thinking, oh, please don't come, please don't come. Well, he's been um, he's been linked heavily with Barcelona. Oh, really? Know. Oh, I've missed that yeah. one, totally. Right. Yeah, he's been linked quite heavily. So, I mean, you know, it could be quite a decent life flight, but then, you know, if we're not gaining squad depth with that, if we're yeah. losing one and then gaining another. Yeah. I'm not surprised that we didn't get Werner for two reasons. I don't think he'd want to play second fiddle to our front three. Um, and... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that our players, our, our uh, FSG, are earning, earning on the side of caution when it comes to finances in this Oof. sort of post-COVID world. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too fussed about that as long as Timo Werner doesn't score thirty goals or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think we need to think long term about replacing some of those older players, definitely, because you know, none of us are young forever, as me and you know. Well, I mean, I've, I've said on the pod before, uh, my big theory about Liverpool was that you were sensational two seasons ago. You were sensational last season. Um, two seasons ago, sorry, three seasons ago, we were sensational. Two seasons ago, we were sensational. Last year, there was just that dip. Just, you know, we're only talking three or four percent, but that is everything, as particularly against, you know, how ravenous Liverpool were last year and how much you mm. wanted it. Um, so you, you just basically left us in the dust. My theory was that Liverpool would have a slight decline in the season to come because this was your third season. You've won your league now. You know, you've kind of won the Champions League. You've been sensational for 24 months. And I believe as a group of players, that is the limit to what a group of players can stay that motivated for to be, you know, because we really are talking about players week in, week out, obsessively, you know, kind of, reaching their highest mark. Um, so I, I thought you might have a dip and then COVID happened and your boys had a lovely long break. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't play that great when we came back. Um, you know, we had the loss to Watford and then we went out to Atleti in the Champions League. Mm. And then we came back, we had the draw with um, Everton, beat Palace, lost to you guys, lost to Arsenal, you know, we, and then drew Burnley at home. Um, yeah. That was quite disappointing because we could have had all the sort of home wins and stuff. So um, we finished on 99 points. Were we 18 ahead of you by the end? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, can we see you guys getting nine points more next season? Yes, I can, because I don't think you can have a bad season as you did before. Can we see us losing nine points? Possibly, yeah. Um, because, like you say, it's hard just to go sort of rat-a-tat-tat for three seasons in a row. Um, yeah. Although, having said that, I think, Last year, a lot of people thought we'd blown our chance and we weren't going to get the same amount of points ever again. And, you know, we got more and you guys obviously sort of dropped off a little bit. So you can't really sort of say for sure. I think one thing is for sure. I can't see Chelsea and Man United getting 30 extra points on us. I don't. I, I still think it was between us and yourselves. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think this could be a real kind of classic race, really. I, I think, um, you know, we've certainly got our mojo back and our motivation back and we've got a lot to prove. Um, I think in hindsight, as disappointing as it was, I think the nature of our defeat to Leon, uh, with, a def- with a blame squarely at kind of Guardiola's feet, that's going to just prompt him to go up a level now um, and just no longer kind of, you know, 
tinker as much as he used to and, and kind of um, in, in these big games, just, you know, double down on his beliefs, basically, you know, just was set up this way. This is who we are. This is, who, you know, how we beat you. Um, I think, so I'm just going to say, I think one thing where the media, where you do get praise from the media, um, mm. which I find a little bit strange, is um, Pep is the only manager who could go out of the Champions League and be accused of being too clever. Um, <laughs> Because he's got his tinkering thing, isn't he? His overthinking thing yeah. and, you know, he's playing Gundogan at fullback against Liverpool and he can't resist doing this and he can't resist doing that. He's the only manager that would go out the Champions League and be accused of being too clever, I think. I, I would go along, I would certainly say that he's had more criticism from City fans than he has from the media uh, in the past couple of weeks. I think that's that's a valid point, definitely. Um, you, I mean, I guess you're not turning on him, but I mean, is this no. the first time he's had criticism from City fans? He's frustrated as at times kind of exasperated as you know at other times um but then you have to kind of weigh that against the times when we've seen the lineup or we've seen what he's tried to try to do in the first couple of minutes and we've been exasperated and then we've gone on to win five nil or, or you know played superbly um and then we kind of forget about our exasperation nine yeah. minutes later so yeah of course it's going to be the defeat where the criticism comes from that's human nature um so yeah, from time to time we have kind of. I mean, it's mainly the Champions League. Um, our set up against Liverpool um, in the three uh, nil a few years ago was wrong. Uh, Gundogan playing right midfield. Our set up against Spurs in the Champions League last year was wrong in the first leg, and our, our set up against Leon was wrong. So it, it is mainly in the Champions League. Um, but then again, you know, if, if he's going to set up as in a set us up in a funky manner against Watford. And we end up losing. Yeah, there's going to be a few grumbles, but it's not going to be on the same level as you know the Champions League, anyway, is it? So, no. Um, but no, he's beyond reproach, anyway. You know, Pepe is adored. Um, but you know, you, you can criticize relatives, you can criticize friends. You know, yeah, no, I understand. yeah, I mean, yeah. I really like him. I've, I think we're lucky to have him um, in the Premier League. I think one thing about our team versus your team for next season, I don't think we could get a whole lot better. Um, if you point. look at yeah, yeah. yeah I think if, if you look at some of the games we played, we had the late penalty against Leicester. We were two 0 down against Villa with about two minutes left. I think we had a lot of games like that. I think we were going hell for leather. You guys last season did spank an awful lot of teams, but you did lose to an awful lot of teams as mm. well. And I think you guys can get better, whereas we can't. Um, and I think that sort of stands in your favour. I think. Yeah, I, I think looking at last season, there's no getting away from the fact that we were flat track bullies. Um, yeah. You know, against Watford, against Bournemouth, whoever it may be, 5 0, 6 0, 7 0. You look at Liverpool, and there's hardly any games which, which you won by a four plus margin, but you no. won week in, week out, whether it was Chelsea, whether it was Bournemouth. Um, and so that was something we have to address. You know, I, I, I wrote in 4 4 2 this month, it'd be good to just kind of spread that out a bit, really. Instead of winning 5-0 against Watford, just win 3-0 and then win 2-0 <laughs> next week against Chelsea. You think I like a quota or something? Don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, lastly, um, I just want to look at Liverpool's kind of track record at Wembley because this was genuinely a surprise to me that you haven't won there since 2012. I mean, we're only talking four or five games, but still, it's eight years. Um, is there a possibility of a curse developing there um, and conversely, is there a ground where Liverpool seems to get a lot of joy at? Are there any kind of grounds that kind of spring to mind where you think, we well, don't seem to win there? I can't think. So we played the 2012 FA Cup final 
that's when we lost to Chelsea, I think, wasn't it? Um, I can't think of us playing there other than against you guys in the League Cup. Maybe I'm missing something. But we won the FA Cup 2001-2006 in Cardiff. Before that, it was 96. We lost at United. We lost against United at Wembley. Mm. So maybe eight, 92 in the FA Cup was probably the time before that we lost um, last sort of win at Wembley. So yeah, it is an awful long time. Um, I don't know if it's a curse or not. I think now Klopp has got the final monkey off his back. Um, you know, he's yes. a Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a Champions League winner, he's a Premier League winner. He's got those sort of off, you know, sort of monkeys off his back. I think I don't think he thinks there's any limit to what he can do, and that stands as in good stead. But regards to unlucky grounds, I had a little look, um, and I'm just an extremely pessimistic Liverpool fan. So it doesn't matter if we're sort of home to, you know, uh, trying to sort of Connards Key. Reserves, whatever's <laughs> your way. It is, yeah. <laughs> or, or whether we're, you know, away at Juventus, I still think we're going to lose. It doesn't matter. So, um, what I will say is probably Manchester United is the worst place to lose at, and it's also the best place to win at as well. Well, I think a lot of City fans would agree with you there, yeah. Some yeah. of the greatest days have been Derby wins at Old Trafford. Um, and then, yeah, losing there's a nightmare, isn't it? And just. Well, yeah. That, that shinned. Bicycle kick must have felt as terrible as oh, the six one felt good. Yeah, just hearing the kind of glory, glory Man United through the tannoy and just <laughs> trudging away. Oh, it's nothing worse. It's it's horrendous. No. But yeah, and it's not just and it's not just in the ground. You got to walk back to your car and yeah. all that sort of oh. stuff. And it's awful, isn't it? Yeah, I think weirdly Aston Villa is was one that came to mind when I put this question together. And um, someone may well get in touch on Twitter and tell me I'm hopelessly wrong, but I just recall us having good times at Aston Villa. Um, going right back as well to um, the late 80s where we hadn't won away from home for, oh God, I think it was, it was a ridiculous amount of time. Um, I think it was something like 30 games uh, over a period of you know, a season and a half or something. Uh, and, and we've scored there with Peter Reid, I think, scoring. Um, and then we got Michael Richards, last minute winner. Um, and we Joe Hart them. had his massive rig there, though, didn't he? Did they he? beat you 3-2 uh, and there was a long ball over the Oh, top. God, see, I, yeah, never mind on Twitter. You're proving the rest. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I put the question together, the one that came to mind uh, was Villa Park. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a, a ground where we just never seem to do well at. Um, Everton, Goodison. Yeah, but we turned that round recently. Definitely, up until a couple of years ago, it would have been Everton. Okay. Um, but we've had a couple of good you know, results there late in the season as well when we needed them. And, um, but, yeah, oh, God, yeah, I've had some bad ones at Everton too, yeah. 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 remember being 13, and it's 1988, uh, League Cup quarter-final, and I was convinced we were going to Wembley. And, you know, it's like, just meant, you know, when you're 13, yeah. football never means as much to you again, does it, as when you're 13. And they, they yeah. thrashed us 4-0, I think. And, oh, God. And then I, as we were walking away... I can't remember his name now. Um, he used to do Granada News. Oh, El Wellsby. El Wellsby, yeah. Yeah, he was, because he's an Everton fan, he was well known for being an Everton fan, and it was being televised that night, and I just remember looking up as we were walking out the ground, and he was laughing his head off in the studio. <laughs> oh, I've hated him ever since. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me today, Chris. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for listening, as, as always. Um, early this week, it became apparent that Manchester City were in pole position to secure the services of the greatest player to ever lace up a pair of football boots. And this extraordinary news came out only an hour after Manchester United's captain was found guilty of being a drunken bellend on holiday. 
We've said it before in the pod and we'll say it again. There are levels to this. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever up the blues. <laughs>